Good morning, ministers. I don't know who chose those songs, but those were so appropriate in the moment. I love that. I love it when the Holy Spirit does his work so well. Today we continue our study in the TMI series, Too Much Information. <laughs> and for most of us, this is too much information. For many of us, this is quite uncomfortable. And I would encourage each one of us as we go through this series to ask ourselves the question just why that might be. What makes us so uncomfortable to talk about such a natural thing as sex? But who am I to be talking about this subject at all? Who am I to be explaining and trying to describe as best I can this sexual revolution that our country and the world seems to be experiencing right now. Who am I? Well, I'll have you know something about me and my family. I have two nephews who are gay, who have been gay for over 20 years. We have a granddaughter who is lesbian. I'm quite familiar with people. I'm quite familiar with what's going on. I'm not detached from reality. I want to make a very clear statement today. I have two nephews and I have a granddaughter who is gay. And I will not, under any circumstances, let my people go. I will not, under any circumstances, turn my back from my family for any reason. I don't care what decision they might make how far outside of the will of God they might go. One thing they're going to know for certain in this world is that they have an uncle and a grandfather who will stand with them through it all. I want to make that point very clear today. I'm not leaving my family. And I'm not walking away from the sinners in my Almost all of them are sinners in one way or another. And one is no different than I want to make sure I make that point clear. What we're talking about here today is how to love people, and we're speaking the truth, but we are speaking it in love. We are speaking the truth, but we are not saying that we are breaking a relationship with any people, with any group, for any reason. Jesus came to be inclusive, not to become exclusive. <laughs> today, there's a pride parade going on on the near north side of Chicago, and I can personally guarantee you that the Holy Spirit has called and sent ministers to the pride parade. I can guarantee you that the Christian is represented, that Jesus Christ is represented at that pride parade today because Jesus is not uncomfortable with any of his creation. <laughs> and Jesus is not shunning any human soul, no matter he came into the world to save. So as we go through this, understand that we're not making some kind of religious uh, 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 distinction between we're, we're better and we're, we're self-indicated because they are doing this. What they're doing is really their business. What we're doing is simply exposing the truth, speaking the truth in love, presenting the alternative for a better way of living. But let no words that come from the mouth, let no words that come from this pulpit be interpreted as a condemnation of any human soul. Calvin Robinson has no heaven and Calvin Robinson has no hell to put anybody in. I am simply a messenger from the kingdom of God delivering a message to the people of God and to anyone who may come across this on YouTube so that you can know and come to understand that there is a better way, the biblical way, God's way. And it is the best way. Maybe you don't agree with that. And I am not sent to make you agree with that. I am not sent to force you to accept or believe anything you don't want to believe. I am simply sent to represent the message of the kingdom of God. You do with it what you will. We left off last week considering the question, who made your sex? Who made your sex? And we concluded based on Genesis chapter five, verse two, that God made our sex. 
Bible says he made them male and female. That's what he made. He blessed male and female. That's what the text says that he blessed. Then based on Matthew chapter 19 verse 12, we concluded that man made a third sex. Or that nature made a third sex and Jesus Christ recognized it. I like to say that because I've never heard it said before and when I read that text, I'm so certain that's what he just did. I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Jesus did this and nobody really talks about it. We have this big conversation about sex and sexuality, but nobody ever really talks about this text. Before we get to that text, we have to address another question that may arise because of this series. And the question is, why is the church so concerned about what the world decides to do with their sex or their sexuality? Why is the, world, why is the church concerned? Why is the church's concern and, and why would I preach morality to the world? Why am I preaching this series? My first response to this question is that we do not preach morality to the world. We do not tell sinners to act differently because according to our biblical understanding, they cannot act any differently. They are bound under the power of sin and to ask them to do, be moral and to live up to biblical standards when they are not capable would be unfair and unjust. I am not preaching morality to the world. And this series is not meant to target individual unbelievers for their sexual choices or their sexual preferences. This series is not meant to target individual unbelievers. This series, this series is not intended to shame, is not intended to hurt or to harm any individual soul, saved or unsaved. That's not the intent and that is not my intent for this series. But Martin Luther made this observation and this declaration so many years ago. He said that if we profess with loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, if I do this, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ, because where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proven. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if you flinch at that point. Any preacher who is not really willing to preach on the contemporary issues of his day, any minister who refuses minister is a coward. Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a sound mind, a reasonable and irrational and a steadfast mind. The devil and the world are attacking individual unbelievers and some even within the church at the point of our sex and of our sexuality. That is where the battle is raging. The world is spewing lies that are affecting people of the world and infiltrating the walls of Christ's church. And every Christian soldier who is loyal to Jesus Christ is obligated to address these lies in order to defend the people of God from serious error. Jesus Christ says in John chapter 10, verse 11 through 13, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. He does not care. How do you know he doesn't care? Because when the wolf came, he ran and left them. That's how I know he doesn't care. When sexual immorality began to penetrate the walls of the church, he stayed quiet about it. That's how I know he doesn't care. Because he is allowing the people of God to trip into sexual sin. And he refuses to speak. That's how I know he doesn't care. He's more concerned about his job and about his paycheck than he is about the souls of the people under his purview. That's how I know he doesn't care. There comes a time where the ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ have to stand up and protect the people of God from error. We must do it. Anyone unwilling to do it is a disloyal subject in the kingdom of God. Why am I doing a series on human sex and sexuality? Because I am a shepherd who cares about the hearts and minds of the children of God. I care for Christ's sheep and I do not want to see us swept away into the abyss of sexual revolt that is sweeping this world. So while this series, here it is, while this series may be educational in one sense, kind of like lecture, this sermon series is also and mostly spiritual warfare. That's what it is. Let's cut to the chase. This is spiritual warfare. And for the believer, for the follower of Jesus Christ, spiritual warfare is fought on three primary fronts. We fight against the deceptions of the devil. We war against evil concepts spawned by this world. And we make war against our own flesh, which is always seeking to justify the world's positions always seeking to draw us into the world's way of thinking, living, and believing. Every believer is called to fight on one of these fronts or all three of these fronts, the devil, the world, and the flesh. This is where the battle is. Paul the apostle describes this spiritual warfare in this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. All he's saying there is he's not going out into the streets and fighting against people for their sin. He's not trying to force the world to conform to biblical ways through political or social or by any worldly means. He does not war according to the flesh. The world uses intimidation and violence and shaming and shunning in order to force people into conformity. That's not the way the children of God work. The children of God do not insult. The children of God do not humiliate any human soul. That is not the way we fight because we are not fighting against the flesh. We are not fighting against men and women or boys and girls. We're not fighting against humans. This is a spiritual war. He goes on in verse four to say, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Of fortresses. <laughs> not for the destruction of people. Not for the destruction of human entities or organizations, but we employ this divine power against the fortresses of darkness. These fortresses consist of well-crafted, deceptive, and manipulative arguments. And these arguments provide justification and a sense of security for everyone who ascribes to them. You talk to the sinner who was a thief. You say, thou shalt not steal. God said, thou shalt not steal. You know what he does? He gives you a justification for stealing. I was raised in poverty. I've never had the things I need to have. And this is what I have to do. And he has a justification. Everybody has a justification for their sin. Every person is right in their own eyes. But there are different kinds of justification. There's the one person who tells you, why do you steal? Thou shalt not steal. I steal because I want to. You know, and I'm going to tell you something right here. I respect those kinds of unbelievers. Those are the kinds of unbelievers I actually like. I like the ones who don't try to justify their sin, but who simply say, this is what I want to do, and this is what I'm doing. 
I can respect that. What I cannot respect, what God cannot respect, is when you give me an argumentation to justify your wrongdoing. That is not going to work. Because that argumentation becomes a fortress that protects a whole lot of unbelievers and keeps them in chains and in bondage. Because the argument is what protects and secures them. Paul says, I'm not coming against the people, I'm coming against the arguments that shield them. I'm getting to the root of this problem. I don't care about what you're doing in your physical body. I am going to the root. I am going to the source. I am confronting the powers of darkness. I am confronting these fortresses of lies that are making you feel secure in something that is against the will of God. That is my responsibility. <laughs> that is every believer's responsibility. Not to argue with people about what they want to do. People do what they want. I can stop your sin by stopping the spirit that's, that's providing you the, the courage. I can stop the spirit of what you're doing and stop you in your tracks. Because you are being used by sin to accomplish the, the will of the adversary. And so I don't need to talk to you because you're just a pawn in a much bigger game. I'm looking for big fish. So whatever I say, don't think for a moment that I am targeting any human soul. Because I recognize that no sinner has power over themselves. But every, every unbeliever is a slave to sin. You're bound to do what, this, what your master tells you to do. You're not the problem. You're actually the victim. You're the one I'm trying to help. You're the one I'm trying to rescue. I don't rescue you by coming into the jail and saying, unlock, unlock the gate and come out. Why won't you come out of that jail? Come on out of the jail, just open the door. The door is locked, Calvin. No, open the door, come on out, it's your choice. You can come out. No, you can't, you're locked in. Paul the apostle said, what I'm doing is, I'm picking the lock. I'm gonna destroy the argument that's holding you. I'm gonna open the door for you, and if you wanna come out, you can. If you don't, you can stay. But I'm gonna make sure that if you choose to come out, that you are free to do so. That is my job, to make sure that the door remains open and that Satan doesn't block you in forever for the rest of your life into sin. These fortresses of lies insulate people from the truth. These fortresses of lies erect a barrier, an even greater barrier between God and mankind, a barrier that is much greater than the usual wall of sinful nature that we all have inherited. This barrier is even greater these fortresses of lies draw men even further away from God and even convince people to make war against God. And so we make war against the lie, not because we're angry. We do battle against these fortresses of lies not because we want everyone to think the way that we do. No, I don't care if you don't think the way I do. If you think the way I do, you might go crazy. Sometimes I think I'm crazy. I don't need to think the way I think because the truth is that even though I'm saved by grace, even I do not understand spiritual things as well as I should. I don't need you to think like me. I don't need you to even be like me. We do battle against these lies not from some posture of self-righteous indignation, no. We make war against these fortresses because these fortresses of lies are harming humankind, leading men, even some Christians, into bondage, and most importantly, these fortresses of lies are calling God a liar to his face, and this we will not stand still for. If you're going to call God a liar, you're going to deal with his people in this world. And I'm not saying that to people, I'm saying that against the enemy himself. If you're going to call God a liar, get ready because I'm going down on my knees and I'm going to confront you and I am going to arrest you and I am going to cast you down. That is spiritual warfare. They are saying that God did not make my sex. They are saying that God did not align my sexuality. They're even saying that the soul and the body are not one and the same. We're gonna address those lies. We're gonna address all those lies as we continue in this series. 
And we will conduct this spiritually military campaign just like Paul the Apostle prescribed it. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, we are destroying arguments. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, we are destroying your arguments. And all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is the talk of a warrior. <laughs> this is the talk of a spiritual battle cat. We're going to demolish your argumentation. We're going to demolish your justification for remaining in your sin. We're coming against that. We're going to demolish your arrogance to stand up against, in the face of God and call him a liar. And as the teacher, it is my objective to destroy the arguments that undergird this contemporary sexual revolution. And by doing this week after week, my hope is to diminish any level of confidence that anyone may have placed in these lies by exposing these lies for what they truly are, deceptions of our enemy designed to kill, to steal, and to destroy humankind, to hold people in bondage, to degrading sin. The devil is a liar. We are not ministers of dissension and division, but we are ministers of reconciliation. And I know that people are pretty much going to do what they want to do anyway. I've been around long enough to know that. Nobody needs to tell me that. Not everybody is going to believe the truth of the gospel in the way that I do. Some will never believe at all. I already know that. Even after I expose these lies that Satan is telling so many people, I already know there are going to be people who don't even care about it. And they're going to continue. And I already know that. So I'm not seeking through this series to force anyone to stop doing what they want to do. My objective is to simply expose the many weaknesses and inconsistencies of the arguments upon which so many people are planting their flags of allegiance. I'm going to show you that you're standing on sinking sand and that the arguments that you're making do not stand up against reason and do not stand up against the word of God. You can stay in it if you want to. I just want you to know it's a fool's errand. That's all I want you to know. Why am I doing that? I'm doing that so that should any person ever decide that they want, want to walk free from these fortresses of lies, or should any person ever, de ever desire to break loose from the chains of lies that are binding them, the way to escape will not be blocked by foolish arguments, by gross miscalculations. So that you or they can always find your way home to God, that the way will always be clear. Because the lies being posited today about your sex and about your sexuality fly in the face of God, they fly in the face of science, they fly in the face of reason and of nature. They are illegitimate argumentations that must be disputed, that must be exposed. And we will expose them. And I hope this explanation, brothers and sisters, I hope this explanation clears up any misconceptions that anyone may have had about my goal or my biblical justification for these talks. The question of our sex and of our sexuality is not a social question. The question of our sex and of our sexuality is not a political question. The question of our sex and our sexuality is a spiritual, is a biblical, and is a theological question, fundamental to my faith. And as I intend to demonstrate in future talks, the underlying structure of this entire sexual enterprise is constructed of spiritual arguments and not of natural arguments. That this sexual revolution is being fueled by faith in lies. This is spiritual, much more than it is physical. And because it is spiritual, it is well within the bounds of my faith to confront it. And my clarion call is this. 
My clarion call to each one of us is this. For your own sake, for the sake of our children, and for the sake of the one who made us, be reconciled to God. Trust God's way, trust God's design. Change your mind and turn to God for help, for guidance, and for the power to live life the way he intended it. From Genesis chapter five, verse two, we learn that God made our sex. We learn that God made us male and female. And while discussing marriage with the Pharisees, Jesus doubles down on this truth. In Matthew chapter 19, verses four and five, Jesus says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Have you not read that? Do you not understand that? But there is a very important caveat in Jesus' biblical explanation of the sexes. There's a caveat here. Jesus said that the Father made them male and female from the beginning. From the beginning. That's God's design, that's God's desire. That there are only to be two sexes, male and female. But as Jesus continues to engage these Pharisees on the matter of marriage, they're talking about marriage and divorce is what the subject is. Jesus is explaining to them not only that God made the male and female, but that God made the male and the female for each other. He made the female for the male. He made the male to fit the female. This overarching topic they're discussing is the topic of divorce. What the Pharisees want to know is they're complaining to Jesus because Jesus is somehow positing that a man can only have one wife and he can't leave her and marry somebody else. They're, they're mad about that. They're mad about that. They're mad because they can't just throw women away and go get another one. Oh, you're, you're getting ugly. You're getting a little bit too fat. I divorce you. I'm going to get somebody else. This is what they were doing to women. Jesus says that's not the way God intended. God intended for that in marriage for there to be one man and one woman forever. These two shall become, he says in this text, these two shall become one flesh. That's the goal. That's the plan. The only way you can divorce her is if you cut off your own flesh. She's your flesh now. He's your flesh now. This divorcing and just jumping all around the place like people in the world and in the church are doing nowadays is unconscionable. That in and of itself is a sexual revolution. Every time I get tired of my partner, just go get another one. Like women are made at Walmart, like they sit on Walmart shelves. You just walk in and I, I want a refund, I, I want to exchange this one for another one. That's how they were treating humans, women. And Jesus says that's not the way it was supposed to be, man. Over the years, Moses gave you guys some leeway. Moses said you guys could divorce. The rules were changed a little bit, but I'm here to tell you that from the beginning, that's not the way it went. And so the Pharisees are upset about this. We're gonna see in a minute, it wasn't just the Pharisees, but people were bothered by this concept. Men, men were bothered by this. And so they're in this discussion. And Jesus says the only reason, the only viable biblical reason that a man can divorce his wife is in instances of sexual infidelity. That's the only reason. Not because she can't cook. Can't get mad because she can't cook. You burned up the hot dogs, you burned up the hot dogs four days in a row, I'm out of here. No, you know, you can't just go throwing people away like that. That's not the way it works, Jesus says. Pharisees were upset about it, but look. His disciples had been standing there apparently listening to this back and forth between, between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the disciples also being rooted in this sexual culture of their day, even they don't really appreciate having their sexual liberty denied, truncated by Jesus. And they respond, and they respond sarcastically to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 10, they get sarcastic with Jesus and they say this, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. You know they're lying. You know they're lying. 
if this is the way it is, if these are the rules, Jesus, then it's better for me us not to get married at all then. Forget it. Forget the whole enterprise. You lying. <laughs> Forget it. I, if I can't marry and divorce as many times as make me happy, if I can't fulfill my sexual desire and my sexual, listen to this, sexual revolution. Sexual revolution. If I can't sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, do whatever I want to do sexually, you're trying to fence me in. This is disciples saying this, not the Pharisees. <laughs> Don't mess with my sex. If you try to mess with, my, mess with my sex, it would be better for me not to have sex at all. We know they're just being dramatic. They're just being hyper-emotional. If they were around today, someone would give them one of those gender spectrum things and say, you're very emotional. Females are very emotional, so you must be feminine. That's what they would say today. <laughs> no, no, no. They're hyper-emotional. You're all in your feelings. You must be gender this or gender... They're just being hyper-emotional. But Jesus uses their response as a catalyst to talk about people who, in fact, made that very decision to not have sex. Jesus uses their sarcasm to talk about these people who have altered their physical, sexual anatomy as a way of committing to that life of, lifestyle of celibacy. Jesus retorts in verses 11 and 12 and says, you know, not all men can accept this statement. Not all men can accept the statement you guys just made about not having sex at all. Not all men can accept this statement. In fact, the vast majority, maybe even 99.7% of men can't accept this idea of celibacy. But Jesus says, but only those to whom it has been given. He's talking about this eunuch. I love this. I just love this. He's talking about the eunuch. Not everybody can accept it, but only to those who, to whom it's been given. In Jesus' day, a eunuch was a man who had been castrated. A eunuch was a man who did not have the physiological ability to engage in sexual conduct because of his bodily limitations. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you guys something. There are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. This is so interesting. My grandson was born. Our first grandson was born. Well, before he was born, his mother was pregnant. She went to the doctor to see what sex the baby was. And the baby had the XY chromosome. So the doctor, of course, said, this is a boy. Boys have XY chromosomes. And we're looking at this from a scientific perspective. Boys have chromosomes. This is a male, right? When our grandson was born, you would have thought you were looking at a female. Because he did not appear to have the proper organs. And upon examination, the doctor came to realize that his organs had grown invertedly inside of his stomach. That happens to people. There are people, Jesus says, that are born that way. No fault of his own, he didn't do anything. He was born into the world with this condition. So thank God the doctors were able to do a simple surgery and just make everything as it should have been, thank God, right? Thank God that his sexual organs corresponded with his biological sex, thank God. Otherwise, he would have had to come into the world and he would have been very confused when he found out that he was an anomaly. That nobody else is like him physically. Not many people are like him physically. He would have felt very alone. He would have needed extra care and comfort. Jesus saying that while the vast majority of persons are born with the right sexual equipment that corresponds with their sex, there are some who are an anomaly who are not born that way. Jesus doesn't consider this person to be abnormal. He doesn't consider this person to be deformed. This person is just anatomically different than most other humans as it relates to his sex, to his sexual organs. 
Through no decision of his own, he was born that way. That's the first kind of person who is a eunuch. He was born that way. Jesus says, there are also eunuchs who were made eunuchs by people. Kings would castrate their slaves. Masters would castrate their slaves. If you were going to be in any way associated or, or, or assigned to care for a man's concubines, he wanted to castrate you to make sure you didn't have sex with his concubines. They were doing this to people's bodies, altering people's sexual organs. And in both of these cases, it was not their choice. One was the act of nature, the other was the act of people, of men. Then Jesus says, there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? There are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. They wanted to be totally and wholly devoted and committed to God, and so they decided to alter their sexual anatomy in order to ensure that they would be faithful to the promise that they made. I've looked from Genesis to Revelation, and do you know what? That was never a command that God gave anybody. God never told anybody to castrate themselves in order to be loyal to me. He never said that. He never instructed anybody to do that. These were some overzealous people, apparently with some problems, and they made a really bad choice to do something that was not even required. These are the kind of people who think it's, it's possible to go over and above the, God's commands. No, it's not. <laughs> Just do what God told you to do and don't become an extremist. Don't, don't go overboard. Don't be an extremist. They were extremists. They went overboard. They went too far, but Jesus recognizes them. Even the person who made a conscious choice to have himself castrated. This person was of sound mind and of sound body, and he made a conscious choice to undergo castration. As I said, the eunuch, for the most part, was the term applied to men who had transitioned from being a man to being a new sex, a third sex that Jesus himself recognizes as legitimate. This third sex comes about either because of the fallen nature of creation or because people made them that way or because an individual made a conscious decision. But they have changed their biological makeup. It used to just apply to men, but today even women can make this decision to have their anatomy and to have their bio biological sex altered by all kinds of different means. In the last 10 years, it's really taken off those puberty blockers that they give children nowadays, those puberty blockers used to only be used in cases where a young, young lady or a young man had some kind of physical mercy. Now they're passing out hormone blockers like candy to people. It's no longer for health reasons. It's no longer to help. It's to help you change into something else now. This is just tragic. Injecting women with more testosterone to make their voices change, to make their bodies change. Injecting women, men with estrogen to make their voices more high-pitched. Changing them. But you're not a eunuch just because your voice changed. You're a eunuch when your sexual anatomy, your biology is changed to the point where you are no longer able to function as the sex to which you were born. You can no longer function as a male or a female. This person today would be a eunuch. And this is where the caveats come in, brothers and sisters. I know as Christians, we like everything to be black and white. It's very comfortable when everything is black and white, male and female, period, job the conversation. But sometimes we have to dig just a little bit deeper because there's more going on than just that. And Jesus recognized that nature has a, nature sometimes makes these strange mistakes. 
that have to be accounted for somehow. And so as Christians, we have to be flexible to a degree. Because there are people, women are born with the XX chromosome. Men are born with the XY chromosome. Did you know there are people who are actually born with XXY? There are some people born with XXXY. What does that mean from a biological standpoint? If a male is XX and if, if, if a female is XX and a male is XY and you come as an XXY, what do we even call you? Nature made a mistake here. And we have to understand that because of fallen nature, there is this little gray area. It's not a whole lot of people like this. There aren't a whole lot of people, but they have to be accounted for. We have to account for them somehow. Jesus gives a category for people who don't fit biologically, scientifically. Not because of your opinion. We're not talking about people's opinions. That's a whole different world. I'm talking about physical anatomy. We have to give account for these people. So that here's a scenario, just a scenario. You come to my church and you're a man. You know yourself as a man. And as you're going along through life, you come to me and you say, Pastor, I have sexual desires that are not in line with my, my sex. I'm freaked out, frankly. I got two kids and a wife. I'm having these feelings, these dreams. The first thing that I do, listen, listen, because, because I, I have some framework here from Jesus. The first thing I need to do is, is understand your biological makeup. Have you been taking take a DNA test? What is your chromosome reading? I need to demonstrate to you that I'm going to be patient with you and not just going to call sin, 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 as soon as you say something. Because I know that there are physiological mix-ups and confusions sometimes. So I'm going to be patient to walk alongside you. You get your DNA test to come back and your chromosomes are normal, which more than likely they're going to be. Now I have to explain to you about sin and about feelings and about lust and about all. But I have demonstrated to you that I can be flexible because I recognize that things can go off in our physical bodies. Jesus recognized it. Jesus recognized it. Some people are born that way. He's not just talking about people being born with genitalia different. No, he's talking about people being born, being misborn physically without the proper makeup, physical makeup. These people have to be accounted for. We have to account for them. This scripture, guys, this scripture, man, has just had me so excited all week. I'm going to be excited about this scripture for a long time because I see something here I've never really recognized, I've never noticed before. How many people in here have ever really considered this text before, this unit? How many have ever really just read that and just thought, wow, Jesus here is giving some concessions? Jesus is accepting reality as it really is. Jesus is practical. Wow, I love this text. I really love it because it gives us a framework by which to work with people who have had physical alterations made with their bodies. This is what I love about it. It provides a, a framework for ministry. What I love about this text is that you see Jesus here stretching his conscience as much as he can to be as accommodating to as many people as he can justifiably be accommodating to without breaking the law, without defying his own conscience, but he stretches as far as he can to include as many people in the conversation as he can. He doesn't exclude, he doesn't want to exclude anybody. And so he's willing to actually give a concession to people who have had Keep, keep this in mind, who have had physical alterations. I'm not talking about anything else but the body. He's willing to give some concessions to try to work it out. Let's try to figure it out. I don't want to lose relationship with you forever. You've made some odd decisions. You've made some pretty extreme choices with your life. Yeah. Yeah, we both have to agree with that. And when you start going up under knives and taking drugs for years and now have to take drugs for the rest of your life to try to prove that you are what you, you've went pretty far, man. 
But Jesus says, I don't mind. I'll still walk with you, man. I'll make a space for you. You might not want to be called man. In fact, Jesus doesn't call him man. Jesus calls him a eunuch. And notice this. Notice the, the omniscience of God. Jesus never uses one pronoun to describe this person. That's how omniscient God is. He knew pronouns was coming down the line. He doesn't say, the eunuch was made that way because he was born. The, the eunuch became that way because he was born. The eunuch, no, he never, never says he, never says she. Every time he refers to this person, he refers to this person as a eunuch. <laughs> pronouns didn't catch God by surprise, trying to be clever. God already knew. He already knew. That's amazing to me. I already know the revolution that's coming. I'm not even going to use pronouns. So when you come to me and say, I, I, I like to be called by, 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 by my preferred pronouns, and no, just tell me your name. I'll just call you your name. I have biblical justification for it. If you've made physical alterations to your body, I don't have to call you male or female. I'll just call you by your name. <laughs> so that I don't offend my own conscience, that, that I don't offend the word of God. I am not about to cross God's line trying to accommodate you. I can't afford to do that. I cannot afford to do that. The apostles in the book of Acts said, it is better to obey God than to obey man. I am not going to get on bad, God's bad side trying to get on your good side. We're not going there. I am not going there with you. I cannot afford to. And for any believer who says, well, you're not being loving, you're not being kind, because this person said that they were this and you won't agree with them. I tell you this. That's not kindness that you're presenting. That is niceness, and niceness is not biblical. Niceness is politeness. Jesus never told us to be polite. He told us to be kind. And you know what is unkind? It is unkind to lie to a person and to tell them that you believe in their delusion when you don't because that makes you a liar. When you stand before the judgment of God and God says, why did you lie so much to those people? Why did you say I don't lie? I was doing it to help you. I was doing it to advance the kingdom cause. The kingdom of God does not sustain itself with lies. No, you don't do that. Don't become so compassionate that don't have this world's human kind of compassion because it's wrong, it's off. It lies to people. And in, in the name of being nice, I'm going to lie to you. Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. Don't cause conflict with your own conscience like that. That is unnecessary. The truth is what sets people free, not a lie. Then we can take that just one step further. When this person who has physically transitioned and altered their body one day wakes up, as 8% of them do every year, did you hear that? 8% of people who have these sexual alterations, within eight years, 8% of them realize they made a mistake. Some of them are permanently altered for the rest of their lives and now they realize they made this huge mistake. Do you know who they're not going to come to for advice? The Christian liar. Because now that I've awakened and now I know the truth, I realize you've been lying to me this whole time. You've been calling me she because I said call me she. And you knew that was a lie. And you say you represent the truth. You say your church is the pillar and ground of the truth, but you're a liar. I can't trust Christians with my, with my life now because they've already proven that they're willing to say anything to try to be my friend. Because they want to try to be clever and get me into the kingdom by any means necessary. So desperate to fit in and make me feel good, they, they lied to me and had me comfortable affirming this lie that I'm telling myself, and now I figured out that it's all a lie. I'm not coming to the church because you all are liars. That's the problem with, with joining in on these illusions because 8% of these people are coming. All of them are not going to come back, but some of them are going to come to their senses. And the ones who come to their senses and have been permanently physically altered for the rest of their lives, they're going to be desperate. I watched one just last night. I watched a man last night who has had these, had these uh, sexual alterations made to his body. 
and he was showing his arm where they took the, the muscles and the meat out of his arms to apply it other places. They've carved him up to make him be something that he couldn't be. And he's giving this, this interview and he's crying. And he's saying, look at what they did to me. Nobody ever told me it was going to be like this. He is permanently and forever altered. What a merciless world we live in. Where for financial gain, you will mutilate a human soul, a human body, to make money and to advance your cause. What a merciless, devilish world we live in. But now he's come to his senses and he realizes, and, and he did this now, he did this. We're going to talk more about this. I'll just give you a little taste of it right now. He did this in midlife. I talked about midlife crisis last week. Because the, 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 the two groups of people who are most pre, uh, prone to these sexual alterations and stuff are the two most vulnerable kind of people among us. The person who is going through puberty and the person who is going through midlife. They're the two most confused groups of people among us because in those stages you're changing and things are changing. You feel discombobulated and lost and alone. You don't fit in anymore. You feel like nobody really understands you and you're having all these questions and feelings and all this stuff is coming up. They're the two most vulnerable people among us, the midlife crisis and the child going through puberty. And so you get sucked into all this stuff. You get sucked in. And this thing I hate about the world, the world always offers people easy answers to everything. The little girl, 13 years old, starts going through puberty, right? She's going through, like every person goes through. I know she's freaked out. I know she feels uncomfortable. I know she feels awkward and she doesn't fit in socially and she can't find the answers that she needs. But this is a part of the growth process of life. This is human development. We all have gone through that. That is not unique to you. I feel like I'm this, I feel like I'm that. All of us did that when we were 12 and 13 years old. Confused, unless we were football players, then everybody just affirms you anyway. But the rest of us, every person in this room has had an identity crisis. That is not new, that is not special, that is not unique. That is the, 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 the cycle of life. All of us do this. From 13 years old to 15 years old, we start wearing all black and painting our fingernails all kinds of colors, putting all kinds of weird stuff on our doors at home and, and trying to make ourselves be. All of us do that. All of us did that. I used to wear skinny jeans with my socks showing up around the top of my angles. <laughs> wearing Argyle socks like an old man. That's what I did with the penny loafers, with the pennies in them. I didn't know who the heck I was. I was trying to figure myself out, wearing all kinds of odd outfits trying to find my group, trying to find the people that I fit in with, right? All of us did it, right? And nobody gave us the answers to the puzzle that is ourselves. Nobody gave us the easy answer. Mom and dad walked alongside you while you went through your process. They didn't slap you in your mouth when you slammed that door like they should have. They let you slam that door in their house and tell them, leave me alone, I hate you. And they didn't do anything because they knew what was going on because they already did this already. Every human has done this already. This is nothing new. Right? I'm confused. I feel lost alone. I don't fit in that school. People don't talk to me. I feel socially awkward. Join the club, man. We all had to do that. And in the process of going through that pain, in the process of working through that awkwardness, you come out on the other side with your true identity. That's the way life works. It always worked that way. This is not special. Well, now you got this new group of people. John Hopkins University. <laughs> We're at the genetic research place. My son's feeling awkward. My, my son's feeling confused. My son's feeling like he doesn't fit in. What should I do? He got a purse the other day. He was playing with my purse. I saw him playing with a baby doll. Oh my God, the world is falling. Now you got the easy answer person. Well, let me give them this gender spectrum test. Do you like trucks? No, take off a point. Do you like to race? No, take off a point. Do you like to, to whatever they think men do, I don't know what, whatever you do when you're a man, right? Do you like, you want to take care of a family? No, I don't, take off a point. 
oh, so you're in the middle of the gender spectrum. This is mean you're just a little bit more feminine than you are masculine. And that means that you have to find your gender identity. What kind of magic trick is that? That is ridiculous. We're going to talk a whole lot about that because I am really into this now. I've never been into this before in my life. Before, before 40 days ago, 45 days, I've never even been into this stuff. I have never taken time to read this. And I'm reading it now. It's so ridiculous that I'm like, man, this argument needs to be shut down. Too many people are getting tricked with this. This is garbage. This is not science. This is garbage. We got to find now, now, now that we found your gender identity, now we have to figure out what you want to do because you're going through puberty and things are starting to grow in places and you didn't know they grew there. And oh my God, you're all freaked out about everything. You know what? I can help to calm you down. I can give you some puberty blockers so that you don't have to go through puberty. I can cause you not to go, they can cause you not to go through puberty now. That is scary as hell. It's too uncomfortable, it's too painful, it's too psychologically depressing and filling this person with anxiety. Oh, we gotta help him, we gotta love him, we gotta be nice to him, we gotta give him puberty blockers. Well, you know what happens when you take the puberty blockers? All of your questions go away. You don't have any more questions. You feel good about yourself now. You know what the problem is? You miss one of the most important seasons of your life and you are going to be an underdeveloped human being because you develop psychologically going through that process. You gain resilience going through that process. You gain a sense, a strong sense of self as you go through that process. You did none of that. You have not earned your identity. You bought it with a pill. We just started doing this nonsense 10 years ago, but I am telling you right now, people who are not going through the natural cycle of life are going to be underdeveloped and are going to be a problem for everybody in society. Because they have not gone through the process, they are not going to know who they are. This is so unfair. And this is why I'm raging against this ideology. Because it is taking people captive. Now you go through this process, now you come out on the other side thinking you know who you are and you don't because you didn't earn it. You didn't earn the right to be who you're saying you are, like every other human had to do. I gave you an easy answer. Well, now I feel awkward, I still feel awkward and I don't fit in, don't worry. We have this community who can just take you in. You don't have to learn any social skills. You don't have to learn how to get along with people. You don't have to learn how to treat people nice. You don't have to learn how to be friendly so that you can gain friends. No, we already have a ready-made community to accept you. What kid doesn't want a ready-made community and all of the answers right up? Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. But if you don't learn how to socialize with people, if all of the answers are easy for you, you are not going to be a well-developed human being. And you're gonna have a very difficult time finding the gospel because all these barriers and lies and blockades that are blocking you and have taken you further and further away from God. Now you've got to work through all of this nonsense to find yourself at least back to a stable position so that you can even begin to find God. It is a tragedy. As I told the elders on the phone, the devil has been playing chess while the church was playing checkers because these are chess moves. These are sophisticated moves this devil is making. These are sophisticated moves this world is putting on us right now. This is highly sophisticated. Letting me know this coming from a high spiritual power of darkness. This is not some low level demon doing this. This is coming from a high level spirit of darkness. Because this is so well coordinated, so well crafted, so magical, so hypnotic. It's hypnotized the schools, it's hypnotized big business, it's hypnotized the politicians. Everybody has all of a sudden gone blind and forgot thousands and thousands of years of information. And we're willing to play along with this game that the world has created that is destroying people's lives. May it never be so in the church of Jesus Christ. May we stand on the truth, come hell or high water. May we stand on the truth, even if this world kicks us out. 
But herein lies the problem. Too many of us are afraid to be kicked out. That's the problem. Too many of us are afraid to become marginalized. And so we're playing along with the devil's game. True loyal soldiers to the kingdom of God fight on the front lines where the battle rages the most. Lackadaisical and relaxed saints are just sitting back minding their business trying to make it to heaven. <laughs> trying not to engage and trying so hard not to offend. Let me tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been offending since it was, since it was implemented by Jesus Christ at his death and resurrection. The gospel of Jesus Christ has always frustrated the world. We've always stood in the way of the world's crafty schemes. Why are we not being persecuted now? Because we're afraid to stand in the way. We're afraid to lose our jobs. We're afraid to lose our livelihoods. So we're going to just let this devil just destroy all these people on our watch, some of the weakest Christians in history. But we're going to stand up. We're going to fight back against not people, not against people, not against institutions. We're going to fight back against these arguments. We're going to knock down every pillar that is holding this sexual revolution up. We're going to watch it fall. And while we know everybody's not coming out, we know that there are going to be some thinking people in there who are going to rethink some things. They may not come to Jesus, but they're going to get far away from this because this is a house on fire. While the house is on fire, everybody's waving flags and dancing in the streets while the house is on fire. Not the church. May it not be so. May we not bow to the lies of this world. And may we not be so fearful of fitting in that we are willing to watch our brothers and sisters fall to the power of these lies. If anybody believes themselves to be called to the community, especially if anybody feels themselves called to the transsexual specifically. I would like to speak with you and I would like to walk with you through this text in Matthew chapter 19 so that you can begin to envision what a ministry to this group could look like because I can see a framework for a ministry here. I can see it, I see it, and it's beautiful. <laughs> I can see it. If you feel that you're called to the transsexual community, please send me an email. I don't have all the answers, but I do see a framework. And I'm excited about it because it opens a door where we're not just seeming like we're opposed to everybody. I love it because it opens a door for reconciliation. We're not, we're not gonna be able to reconcile with all of them and Jesus is not gonna save all of the world either, so that's not really a big problem. But for those few who are chosen, let me make this clear, for those few in that movement who are chosen, they deserve for us to stretch as much as we can to come and find them and to rescue them. God has some chosen people in that movement. And they deserve us to be in prayer for them and to be identifying them they, they deserve for us to be standing on the periphery of the movement, waiting to see if someone has a question. You see, you see, when you're engulfed in something like that, you're afraid to ask questions because everybody around you is so sure about what we're doing. We're all doing it together. So when you have questions, you have to pretend like you don't have questions. That's how cults work. But as Christians, we just need to stand right there on the periphery of the movement and keep our eyes open and identify the one that's standing in the corner doing this. I said, yeah, you look like you have a question. I didn't come to talk to all the people who have all of the answers. You know why? Because Jesus didn't come to talk to all the people who had all the answers. He ignored them. Jesus was looking for the few that had questions. In that movement, there are people who have questions. And what I'm saying right now is this is the spiritual strategy of the kingdom of God. The devil just threw a wrench in his thing, but he's about to see what strategic looks like because we are the strategic people of God and we will tear your kingdom down. That's our mission, that's our calling from Jesus Christ and that's what we will do. <laughs> 
Why are you not talking about that like every other sin? There are all kinds of sins because most other sins do not have this level of bondage attached to them. Most, most other sins don't take people and just grab them and rest them down to the ground and force them to not move. This spirit is strong. And if you're a child of God and loyal to this cause, you need to be on your knees every day just asking God to break this devil's back and see what he does. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have called us into your kingdom, that you have made us emissaries of the truth. These are very complicated discussions, very complicated conversations. Some of us feel very uncomfortable. Father, I hope and pray that everyone who's heard me today will recognize that this is not a fight against flesh and blood. This is not a fight against people. I pray that everyone who has family members in their house who may be gay or lesbian or bisexual, queer or whatever they are, I pray that families will understand that it is important that we not throw our people away, that we not throw our children to the dogs. Help us to be loyal to our families no matter what they do. Help us to speak the truth. But Lord God, let us speak the truth in your time. Help us not to hound them or badger them or make them feel bad about themselves or their choices. This is a fallen world. Help us to learn how to be patient. Help us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without reservation. Help us to offer liberty and freedom to every soul who is struggling with their sexuality. Make them know, help them to know that your church is here for them to stand with them and to stand beside them no matter what happens, but that we will love. We played the song earlier that they will know us, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Let them know that even though we tell them the truth, we tell them the truth because of our love, not out of hearts of hatred for any man. That we seek their freedom, their restoration, and their renewal and not their destruction that we seek their peace and we do not seek to cause them any harm. Speak to their hearts and speak to our hearts. Show us how to be the ministers of reconciliation that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.